Hello and welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. This podcast is for sports fans and people playing sport. Anyone interested in sport, basically, whether that's watching it, playing it or competing at any level. My name is Sam Adams. I'm known as the Real Life Coach. I'm a business owner and a life coach who works with sports professionals, whether that's athletes, coaches and people in and around the sporting industry. And I help those people live more expansively, authentically, so that they can enhance their performance, whether that's playing their game or living their real life. My background is business, really. I've been in business for over 20 years in property, and I've mentored in that industry and coached. And that led me into life coaching. And then that led me into working with people in sport, basically because I'm passionate about sport. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about the topics in sport. We're going to talk about the real life behind the scenes, what it takes to be a professional athlete. We're going to have the latest news. We're going to have some discussions. I'm also going to share with you my experiences of coaching elite athletes. We will have some amazing guests and they will be talking about the glamour and the glory, the medals, the achievements, the titles. But we'll also go behind the scenes to find out what it really takes, the grit and the grind what it takes to excel as an elite athlete for yourself the listener what i promise you is that you're going to get some great takeaways and insight from these podcast episodes whether you're looking to achieve or improve your mindset it'll help you with your personal development and it will give you that extra bit of insight and what it takes to be a high achiever also i'd love for you to do me a big favor when you get to the end of this episode or any episode is leave a review. Leave me a five-star review and I will be eternally grateful. So here we go, the Real Life Sports Show. So here we are today with another episode of the Real Life Sports Show. My guest today uh, came into my radar a few years ago when she joined uh, the Hammers, West Ham United ladies women's football team. And I just, she popped back into my radar more recently as she was coming up to retirement. And I thought, let me just reach out and see if I can get this lady on my podcast. And she was very gracious uh, and very kind and replied straight away and agreed to come on. So I'm really pleased to have with me the international footballer or former international footballer, Julia. Is it Simic? I know I'm going to say it wrong. It's Simic. Simic would be quite correct. Yes. Oh, oh, not too bad. Not too bad. <laughs> no, well done. Really good. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And also nice compliment, right? We Germans sometimes be seen as rude. I always heard this when I was in the UK that we always be seen or have that image of being rude and not funny. So nice that you introduced me as someone kind. So I like that. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're very kind and warm. I, I must admit... I don't. Well, one of my really good friends at school was German. Her mother was German, so she was half German. Her father wasn't. Um, But they were a really warm family, really, really warm family. So yeah, Yeah. they're exceptions, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's surely that's not right. All Germans. No, that's true. (laughs) I think English perception of Germany and Germans is that you're very efficient. You get things done. That's good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Germans make great cars and great products. Your engineering is very good. Hey, thank you. But honestly, I heard a lot of times, hey, you're quite funny or quite nice for a German. And at the beginning, oh, really? I was so confused. I didn't know we have that bad image. But yeah, obviously, I'm half Croatian. Maybe that helps as well. Yeah, I read that you were half Croatian, which yeah. is, is really interesting. Or maybe maybe we'll get onto that. I don't know if we'll have time, but yeah. we'll do, do our best. I mean, this podcast, um, 
we talk about what it really is like to be an elite athlete. You know, we all, we all see the, the glory and the glamour and, oh, I'd love to do that one day. And, you know, yeah, sure, I'd love to be a WSL player or play for AC Milan like you've done. Um, but with all my guests, we go behind that and actually just talk about what it does really take to, to be an elite athlete and consistently show up. But also, as in with my work, I work with a lot of clients now that, are transitioning out of elite sport, professional sport into a new career or trying to find themselves again. And obviously that's something you've just recently announced your retirement. Um, but before that, yeah, maybe you do a little, you could do a little introduction of who, who you are, what you've done uh, and who you've played for. All right, where do I start? It's been a long journey, you know? <laughs> so yeah, basically I'm, I'm from Germany. So I started playing here in Germany. I played with um, the boys until I was 16. And when I was 16, I got the offer to go to Bayern Munich um, mm. to the first women's team. There was a huge transition for me, a huge jump, because I was basically, at this stage, I was like a 15, 16-year-old boy in my head. And all of a sudden, I had to play with <laughs> grown-up women. So just mentally and psychologically, psychologically, that was the hardest step or hardest yeah, jump mm. I've ever made, I think. Um, I played then eight years for Bayern Munich great time like that Munich feels like home I right. finished school there I did my studying there and had so many friends there my whole social life is basically in Munich and then I went on moved on also due to injuries and yeah just have a new experience moved to a couple of clubs in Germany like Tivine Potsdam, Falfe Wolfsburg quite a um, successful time there and Freiburg mm. and then I always had this drive to go abroad and experience something else and something new a new culture new language mm. but also yeah just a new way or philosophy of playing football as well I was always really into yeah getting to know other styles of playing as well so England was the perfect fit at this time for me so West Ham just started this really great new um, project with the women mm. and I was part of it since the beginning and that was great a great coach and great facilities and also professional league so before I've never played in a complete professional league which right. also means not it's not just about the money it's about having a physio there full-time having a doctor there having an analysis there and mm. yeah just an snc coach for example that's so rare even here in germany and then played there two years had some injuries there already as well and then the last year i played for ac milan i was already thinking of retiring last year because my body was just not in the shape anymore it should be to play on that high level and I couldn't reach my maximum anymore. So it was a tough year. I just felt really privileged to experience another year of football. But probably it was one of my toughest years in football because I could feel my body is screaming to stop, basically. And yeah, now I'm here, retired. <laughs> and my body is um, yeah recovering. <laughs> yeah, I, I read about your injuries and obviously was aware of them uh, at West Ham. Because I think is it, you've had a, a lot of knee problems uh, over the years. Yeah. My knee is the biggest problem. So I had an ACL injury when I was 21. I re-ruptured this ACL. So when after you were seven... trying out for Germany, was that? Yeah. yeah. That was my first call-up. And I always say that was the best time. There's not a good time, right, to get injured. But not the best an ACL. Time... <laughs> yes, but at least I thought, okay, I had so much motivation for my rehab because I yeah. thought, okay, I, I made it once. I want to go back to the national team. So I was yeah. just flying through my rehab stages. And basically after seven months, re-ruptured or re-injured that knee again with the same injury and that took me 
another one and a half years. So I was out for two years at this time, wow. which at this age is crucial because you're just out for two years when you're 21. Mm. So that was a long, long, long time felt really long to be out for that yeah, yeah, amount of time. That's a really, really long time. Wow. I mean, I, you know, I want to touch on touch on that. You know, we'll come back to that. But I guess, how how did you get into playing football? Was it because obviously, like you said, you had to play with the boys. So I'm guessing it wasn't like readily available for you to go and play football, to go and join a, a football team. How, how did you get into it? Was it through family and parenting, or? Yeah, I always think and believe into your environment has to offer you that. Yeah, whatever it is, whether that's whether there are horses or there's a ball and if everyone kicks the ball with the feet rather than throw it, you just do it as well as yeah. a as a young kid, right? So my brother, my dad, we would always be in the park with a ball and everyone would just kick the ball. So I just started doing it as well. So I think, yeah, my biggest luck was basically having a brother mm. and maybe not a sister because usually or naturally you would just kick a ball with a boy rather than with a girl. That's mm. still the case, I would say. And yeah, then I... To be honest, a friend who was playing in a football club when I, yeah, when I was in school with her. Mm. So she took me to her boys team when I was maybe six years old. So this is when it started. And all of a sudden you feel like you're quite good in what you're doing, right? So I always had this feeling, okay, I'm not, I'm talented or something, but it's just successful if I kick a ball and it's basically going where I wanted to go a little bit. And <laughs> this, this gives you as a kid as well, extra motivation to sure. stay committed and get better. And my dad and my mom, they were really supportive. My brother as well. We were all, mm. every dinner, we would talk about football, about our training sessions. They would come and drive us there. And I think my social environment just gave me the opportunity basically to play football and people were really supportive. And I know mm. a lot of girls they that don't have that environment. Whereas boys, like they are, they get dragged into playing football and yeah. girls, are more seen like, ah, are you really sure you want to play football? Just from their parents as well, mm. or friends. I had a lot of friends, they were questioning, why are you playing football? Why are you not doing something else? But I love to play with boys. So for me, it was not, yeah, there were not no other options or opportunities <laughs> to play with girls. But at the same time, I really enjoyed playing with the boys. I get yeah. got on really well with the boys. And at one point, I wanted to be a boy because I couldn't do a lot of things they would do, just having sleepovers or... <laughs> Not even showering, but just being in the same dressing room with yeah. them and not having to leave at one point. I just wanted to be a part of that. And that, yeah, sometimes I struggled a little bit with this. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. I, I'm, it sounds like you really enjoyed it, whatever. It wasn't like you had yeah. pushy parents or anything like that. You you sound like you had, you know. Yeah. No, I, looking back, maybe there were a lot of times when I felt like why do we have to analyze this game again? Or why do we have to be so critical again? And right. there were times when I also, everyone has this, when you start finding pleasure, going out a little bit and mm. not partying all the time, but still like get, going to a late birthday, for example. And yeah, I would do things like this as well, but a lot of times I couldn't do it. So yeah. sacrificing these things is a huge part of this. It doesn't start when you're 18 and all of a sudden you talented and you get called up or get an offer from a pro club or something mm. it starts when you're 12 13 14 15 how much really do you want it and yeah. you're able to sacrifice other things you probably prefer to do at this moment than just yeah sticking to your goal and really yeah go for it yeah absolutely I mean I hear that a lot and 
it's always one of my questions about the sacrifices you had to make in order to get to the level that you you you're at or you got to you know which is you know a big part of the podcast about going behind the scenes of what it really took and that dedication um and that commitment uh, you know in order to reach that level like you say it doesn't just happen right it, you have to put in the work um and it's and what i'm getting from doing these podcasts and i've done a whole bunch before is that it's never and it's never a single thing right it's not just you making that sacrifice it's generally families have to make the similar kind of sacrifice so i mean i spoke to uh, there's a lady called rebecca adlington she's a two times olympic uh, gold medalist from 2008 british swimmer our greatest swimmer ever um and the sacrifices that her family made because swimming notoriously they get up incredibly early to get mm -hmm. in the pool so yeah. her mum for about seven years her mum gave up her job and wow. then would get up at four o'clock every morning to take her to swim in which so it's not just the athlete that has the sacrifices it's the family as well was that was a similar kind of thing it sounds like it a little bit from your family yeah 100 so when i hear this i get a little bit of goosebumps because it, it didn't or it it might have worked out differently as well and i know mm. some other maybe former teammates they had different conditions or something when they grew up mm. but like when i think back how many times did we have to get up at 4 a.m in the morning my dad my mom they would just drive me everywhere whether it was raining germany is really cold as well we have a lot <laughs> of wind we have a lot of snow and also we we have a lot of bad pitches here as well so sometimes you would just play on mud as well and yeah. your parents would be always there and take you really muddy in the car back again <laughs> for two hours so that's and it's not just time it's also financially it's like you have to put in a lot of money as well new boots driving everywhere new clothes like it's the whole package it's a lot it requires a lot and if you have parents or an environment that supports you in in yeah in your passion basically mm. I don't know what i would have done without them basically so that's yeah sitting here now looking back i'm i'm really grateful because sometimes you also forget how you get somewhere right it's just mm. nice that you made it but for example every single time my dad would drive whatever 500 kilometers to watch me playing and we always had this ritual like before the game i would always look for him if i can see him in the stands we would quickly wave and then I was ready to play and I would always play a lot for him as well because I knew how much of an effort he made also to come to this game. Mm. So it would frustrate me even more if I wouldn't get my performance on the pitch just knowing that he's there and he just traveled so far and all that other stuff in the past he would do. So that really got me motivated throughout the whole time, I would say. Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting point actually about about motivation and what drives you to or what drives any of us to do what we do and that that purpose and that passion and and quite often um there is there it comes from external people doesn't it or things like you know family and friends there's a great story about a, a, i think it's another swimmer actually and he, he won olympic medals but actually he, he says his greatest achievement was when he won the national championships and his brother was sadly dying from cancer oh. and um, he 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 promised his brother he would win the national championships now when he when he promised his brother that he was like a he was like a fat overweight kid and his brother basically said not a chance chubby is mm -hmm. basically what he said to him mm -hmm. but he was driven by his brother that was his motivation to show his brother to do it for his brother and he did do it and his brother lived oh. to see him do it which is an incredible story yeah. um 
but it's interesting that you say that you know your dad was a big part of your motivation to 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 do your best yeah i would also say even in the rehabs like he would be there i think with every single injury every time i got injured my dad would see it live mm. whether that was in training or at the games and at one point even if you i would always think of him even in my rehab stages because i just wanted him to i knew how much he was worried about me and how yeah. he he would feel my pain basically maybe more than i would sometimes and having bad days in rehab, you still don't lose the focus also because of people that are surrounding you, right? And supporting you. Mm -hmm. And I think this sometimes brings you a little bit back on track. If you don't work maybe really well certain days, you just think of others maybe they that gave a lot for you. Mm -hmm. And this is just like, okay, get your stuff together now and keep moving because there are others working for you as well. So you have to work as well. And I think that sometimes helps a bit going through some yeah hard stages maybe yeah for sure I mean I think that can have like a double like we would say here a double-edged sword or there's a paradox to everything right so that's great because mm -hmm. you're motivated like I want to do well for my family they sacrifice and my coaches yeah. and my team but then for some people and I don't know if this is for you but you feel the pressure of that did you feel any pressure from from that not, not so much pressure, like pressure only, I, I never felt pressured for, during rehabs, I would say. Mm. That was more like um, impatient, for example, or really people that would give a lot, you would feel like I can't let them down now mm. because you can't give up because they give everything for you. So you have to keep going. Pressure, I would more feel like, especially at the end of my, my last three years playing football, I played with the least pressure because right. I would just play for the passion, the joy, and because I felt like I had so many interests, I'm so glad I'm still on this pitch. And I wish I could have thought like this a, a lot earlier, just getting rid of this stress and this pressure and that, yeah, just re relax a little bit and enjoy everything a little bit more because yeah. it's still a sport. It's, it's, yeah, it's your profession, it's your job and you sacrifice a lot and everything, but it's still a game and you yeah. have to enjoy that game. And then you probably, perform the best and this yeah. is where what I realized really at the end of my career last two or three years also going abroad helped because you're just a little bit more anonymous like people wouldn't expect mm. certain things from you could just my coach would always say go out and express yourself and mm. I loved it and I want to take that with me whether I'm a coach or just supporting others and tell them look you have to enjoy the game and then you play your best game 100% and yeah. I felt like this the last three years and that helped me a little bit by going abroad and experiencing this because before I would always be like okay maybe the national team coach is there in the stadium and this game is on tv and people are coming and watch you and you always want to perform for others as well but also for yourself because yeah. you had certain goals you wanted to achieve right but I felt like every time I enjoyed these 90 minutes on the pitch I played my best so at the end I was just more for my performance I was just trying to achieve like enjoyment on the pitch rather than performing well because that was would just come naturally yeah and that so ties in with the stuff that I do my work and and getting because you know so I've been called a performance coach in the past and I'm, I'm not a performance coach mm -hmm. at all and I do correct people I'm a life coach and it's not a great term but it's a tool and and but the the essence of it is is getting people to enjoy what they do and enjoy their life because yeah. sport is a part of life. It's not life itself, let's be honest. Uh, the thing with elite athletes, 
uh, they can be very driven, very determined, and it can be all consuming. Uh, and that's great in order to get to a certain level. Like you say, you had to make many sacrifices, but equally you, you, you lose that sense that other areas of you, the other parts of you, because we're all made up of different things, socially, our friends, our family, our hobbies, our likes, our dislikes, our mm -hmm. values, all of that comes into play. But when we channel it all into one thing, it, it, it can be great, but it also can be quite dangerous. And yeah. if, if you can uh, do the work, outside of your sport on yourself really know who you are what you like doing outside of your sport learn to play with just because of the love of playing and the love of training and being part of a team it brings this flow and this carefreeness that like you said the natural byproduct of that is your performance improves mm -hmm. and like yeah. you said for the last three years of your career wow yeah i played carefree how you wish yes. you could have done that. And that's the, I, and when he said, it, I was like, oh yeah, this is the bit that I really want people to get. And the people that I help is that you will be better just because of the work that you do on yourself, the work yeah. that you learn to take the pressure off, to play for the joy and to yeah. have other areas of your life in a good standing in a good place, because you see it in any athlete, in all of us, when we're in a good place, emotionally, mentally, and physically, you know, we're fulfilled, right? You know, relationships yeah. are better, connections are better, our performance, whatever we do. So I'm super passionate about that, really. That, that's, yeah. that's my my jam. You hit it all on the head there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you say, basically. And I feel like maybe what you say as well, everyone is a bit different. Like everyone finds their own way of dealing with pressure or stress mm. or in a game, off the game, outside of the game. For example, I'm a really communicative person on the pitch when I'm good. If I don't speak anymore, or when I was good, when I wouldn't speak anymore, I you would directly realize, okay, she's not in a right shape <laughs> today. So when I stop speaking, something is wrong. And mm. I would need people around me to get me back, maybe by speaking to me, by supporting mm. me, by don't know, being positive. But I think everyone, some you, you would see players, they are so aggressive. But mm. they would need this maybe. They need this maybe aggression to perform. Where I always love the harmony. I love the harmony with my teammates and mm. people who would say, hey, go right, go left, speak with me. And then I feel like a connection. Mm. And I would do the same with my, let's say, strikers because they are ahead of me. And just little communication on the pitch would help me a lot. But I think everyone needs to find their own way. And that's maybe on the pitch now what I'm speaking about, but also off the pitch, how to deal with certain situations, what kind of person are you a character are you and what do you actually need from others but also how to deal with it um with yourself yeah absolutely it's those connections and there's lots of research around um the benefits of being part of of team sports and how that especially for for young girls and you know how that can help your self-esteem and, and your confidence because you're looking for other women and other girls to support you and help you and, and build you up mm -hmm. rather than you know, outdoing other things that, you know, we think matter, but actually really don't matter. Do you think it benefited you in that way? Yeah, hundred percent. Mm. I never thought I'm like when, for example, my biggest fear with retiring was not having the social group around you anymore. And mm. I just realized that maybe in the last also three, four, five years, how happy I am as soon as I made the step over into the dressing room and be <laughs> surrounded by the girls, by yeah. really by your family. That yeah. sounds so, 
everyone would use, yeah, we are family, but it is true, even in lockdown the last two years, we were just surrounded by the teammates you have, basically. In Italy, I had no friends, I had no family, so you only have your teammates, and mm. half of the team is from abroad as well, so you appreciate it even more having each other, and mm. you grow into something. And then mm. at, at one point, you just leave everything, and you go in different directions, and most of them you won't see again maybe in your life. Mm. So that's so crazy to think like, okay, you just spend a whole year together every single day and sometimes nights as well, going to away trips and things like this. And then you just stop. But having this and when I had a bad morning, for example, I would just go into the dressing room and I feel automatically I always felt so much better as soon as you have the people around you. And that's for me, the nicest thing of team sports in general is having these great people around you and you don't get on with everyone of no, course sure. especially women seems like <laughs> but at the same time you just deal with it right and you find a way and you still miss these people even if you wouldn't speak a word i still miss a lot of for example, <laughs> these italians even if we wouldn't speak a lot because we would just there's a huge language barrier right yeah but still see them day in and day out it's something that i miss a lot and yeah. maybe not now no i'm just two weeks ago now but <laughs> it, I will I will miss that so I want to have a team again around me in the future whether that's me being a coach or an SNC coach or something yeah. similar but being in a team I always appreciate it a lot yeah yeah absolutely yeah there's, there's like I say there's lots of research around that um just dipping into sort of your career obviously you played for quite a few different clubs uh, how how was the different and there's I had loads of questions actually from people <laughs> so good so so good obviously there was a few that I cannot share <laughs> but yeah um a couple of marriage proposals that, that was, was in there are you gonna have any yeah. children um somebody was asking about a decision to play stop playing so young and I'm pretty sure that's obviously the, the injuries that you've sustained um uh there's a couple of questions around that sorry i'm just reading them uh so and oh one of them was how do you how do you think italian football women's football will develop in the coming years obviously you weren't in um it's italy um for that long but your experiences of it and the short time you were there i guess how does it compare to england obviously being at west ham and being in germany and where do you see it going Obviously, I know these, this Italian league for a couple of years now because mm. I would play a lot of times in the Champions League against course, Italian yeah. teams. Yeah. And I would say it developed a lot. Like playing there, I thought the, the league, the level is lower than it actually was. Right. In terms of the quality, they just bringing in a lot of foreign players. That's just, they just opening up a little bit more because mm. Italian, and that's for sure, they don't speak English, which mm. makes it harder obviously for foreigners to come in the league, whereas you would come to Germany and you would find people that speak English to yeah. a level where you can at least communicate, right? Mm. And that's not just for the English people. For, if I would go to Italy, I would expect to at least speak on an English level. And that's something where the Italians, I think, have to open up a bit more to speak English as well, because otherwise it's getting hard. It's getting hard for foreigners to feel comfortable in the league. But from the pure football level, I think a lot, of things developed really well. I would mm. say Italy also wants to turn into a professional league next year or the year after. Mm. So that's, there's a lot going on, a lot of focus on the, on the women's football in Italy. The national team mm. is on a really, in a really good way. They got a really good coach over to Juventus now. So AC Milan, big clubs, that's always the 
most important thing that big clubs are supporting the women's team, like AC Milan did now, Inter Milan doing also Juventus, yeah. Fiorentina. That's so important because they, they are clubs with huge history, with a huge fan base. And if they give that signal, hey, we're doing something for the women because it's important and women's football, you have to take that serious now then it's starting to click for the rest of the society as well. Media is jumping in and all these things starting to happening. But when I just see the facilities, for example, England is extraordinary in terms of this, the pitches, obviously you have at West Ham, I think we had five greenkeepers. They would come in every morning <laughs> and tell us a huge story about the pitch today. And I love that so much because they're so passionate about their grass, yeah. right? And it's a new train. <laughs> You would train a lot on AstroTurf. Obviously, my knee didn't like that so no. much. So ha having that professional environment, England is something else at the moment. They are on top of every other league. Then mm -hmm. obviously Germany is still one or two levels ahead of uh, Italy as well. But Italy is developing so fast. There are a lot of games in, on Sky, for example, mm. shown on TV. And that's so important that you feel, okay, we're taking that serious now. Yeah. And from that standpoint, I, I would take them really serious. Yeah. Yeah. I, they're, they're super passionate about their football, aren't they, yeah. the Italians? And obviously yeah. their language. Uh, I think the French are a bit like that as well, though. Uh, the, yeah. That true. city, their language as well is <laughs> protective yes. of that. But, but you make a good point because, you know, I can't imagine what that'd be like, obviously going to a different, you know, I guess going before you went to West Ham, your English was pretty good, right? Because you're, you're pretty fluent. It's pretty good. Um, so much. apart from the accent is is flawless so um but for a lot you know italians going coming to to our league wsl and the, and the championship and all the other uh leagues would be quite a challenge you know and when we obviously want that we want you know i we i'm massively passionate about all of the women's football really elevating we're lucky now here the wsl is going to be on the main tv next yeah. season which is incredible um, I'm going to be doing some work with the WSL, which is amazing. Great. I'm so, so excited. And yeah. so I want that in all, I want that in Italy and I want it in Spain and Germany. I want all the European countries to really, really sort yeah. of get on board with this. So it's good to hear that, you know, you feel like Italy are now really coming on board with, with the women's game as well. Yeah. I, I think what the UK has or England has, and that's something I never realized before is from the society football, women's football is so accepted and respected. So when you just go somewhere with the metro on the train, you see kids wearing Lucy Bronze shirts, for example. Yeah. And that could be not only girls, they could be boys as well. Yeah. And everyone would could name the national team players. So and they would dream to be a professional footballer, young yeah. girls. And their dads as well and their parents as well. They are like just opening saying become a professional footballer when she's older so that's something you wouldn't find a lot in Italy you wouldn't find that in Germany as well because I think just from a society perspective it's not that accepted it's not normal still for a girl to play football whereas in England they have football in schools they have camps around football mm. academies and all these little things I think and you have to in the TV, you have the women's football everywhere now. And you, well, you say that, but we still bang on that it's not good enough. Like I'm banging the drum massively. So yeah. actually you're giving me a bit of a, a wake up because, you know, we're still here really banging the drum saying, come on, come Keep on, doing come this. on. Yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. good because you have people being loud and demanding. This yeah. is why it's happening there. But when you go abroad, you maybe you're demanding on a high level already. Mm. Yeah. 
Germany was always on top. Like they were always one of the best leagues in the world. And now England, obviously, you're yeah. a step ahead of us now, just in I terms think... of the media. For us in this country, uh, what really helped us was 2012 Olympics. Uh, Team GB women did did really, really well. Um, and of course, that was on the TV. The, the Olympics was here in London. You know, everybody got behind it. Everyone was a part of it. You know, it was a mm -hmm. real, the whole country got behind the Olympics. But then the, the women's team did really well, better than the men. So, you know, we had someone to cheer for. So I think that massively helped the women's game here. Um, uh, and a lot of the, you know, you see a lot of the male footballers sort of get, they've got kids now and if they've got a daughter, you know, why can't they play football? You know, so that's really mm -hmm. helped. Exactly. Um, uh, and we've, that, that definitely had a big, big knock on effect for us. Yeah. Um, so I suggest you get the Olympics <laughs> and you get your German team in there. No, I agree with that. We had the World Cup 2011 here. Yeah. And there was yeah. a huge media interest. You would know every single player yeah. in this team because they were everywhere you would go out and you just see yeah. women's football women's football players players individuals like you could just see their faces everywhere and then there was a boom like fantastic boom mm. so many girls would start football through that all the games would yeah. be streamed in the tv but then all of a sudden we would stagnate and even mm. go back a little bit and other leagues are just on the run and just developing so germany has to do something otherwise yeah, we have to do something, I would say. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very hard to keep that momentum going. You know, yeah. we noticed it here, obviously, after the Olympics. But, you know, the FA here have done a good job of keeping mm. that momentum and, and finding investment. And now to get it uh, this season coming on, on mainstream TV is phenomenal, really. It's a really big deal for us. And I'm mm. like, I cannot wait. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really exciting. Cool. Um, I guess... I always ask this question, really, and what's been your biggest challenge, really, um, to overcome during your football? I think I kind of know, but I don't want to preempt that. Um, yeah, what's been your biggest challenge during your career to overcome? Um, at the end, it's just the injuries, I would say. Mm. So there were, what we said earlier, there's not a right timing for injuries. And when mm. I said, okay, I ruptured my ACL in the first national team call-up I got, and I said even that was something positive because I was full of motivation to go back to that mm. stage. But then there was another injury where I ruptured my syndesmosis ligamentum. There's something in the ankle. Not everyone knows that I, ligament. No, I didn't know that one. Yeah. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's basically between your shin and your ankle. So okay. it's not a good ligament to rupture or to tear. So um, be careful for that. And that <laughs> needed a surgery as well. I was out for six months again. And that was just when I played always like in the in the starting 11 for Wolfsburg I finally mm. made my way into the starting 11 we were just three weeks away from all the finals like Champions League finals yeah. and league finals and cup oh, finals man. and I would miss all these games and then there was the Euros and that was the first time when I was a, that I was really in the team from the national team like there was yeah. a new coach now and she would not count on me but at least she would call me up for the national team so I had a to play a big tournament and that would take away through this injury um, from me and that was something where, where I felt okay like I, I would never put anything on my injuries people would always ask me why did you only have two caps for your country or don't know didn't win more titles for example and I would never excuse it with my injuries but that injury was a really bad timing like it was just like 
could it not wait maybe half a year longer or something but how did you so how did you manage that you know because that's devastating really um when you know you're pretty much on the team sheet and to have that happen to you a few weeks before how did you cope mentally with it with that that was hard because I had to wait for my surgery as well and just two or three weeks of like wasting time for me I'm impatient I just want to get it done and as soon as I'm in the recovery mode I can bounce it off again and I can just go through it and I'm okay but just having to wait as well for two or three weeks for that surgery to happen and just laying there and icing your foot and being um, caught in your bed as well that was probably the hardest two or three weeks because it was just like why am I actually doing this like and I and yeah at this point I felt like okay there's I don't have a goal or target today or motivation to leave my bed. That was probably the feeling. Why would I even get up today? There's no point for me doing anything. That wow. was the first and I think only time I had this in my life because I would say I'm quite optimistic and positive and I find my energy somehow every day. But that was, yeah, when I, for the first time, felt like I don't want to leave my bed today. For, wow. Because I didn't see anything. Yeah, for sure. I, I didn't get it. See, yeah, I didn't find my why. Why would I? And so as soon as what I got, got you through that then? What what changed? How did you how did you get through it? I think just the time. At this point it was basically just knowing, okay, in fourteen days, in ten days, in six days you have your surgery hmm. and obviously you speak to people and some people just sit you down as well and this is sometimes not the closest circle. People from a little bit further apart from you in terms of being not too emotional with you and not feeling your pain Mm. they sometimes help you more I would say in these situations than your parents my dad for example he I had to help him (laughs) through that more than me sometimes I felt like this (laughs) sometimes you just need to see okay it's not nice and it's probably a little bit horrible as well but it's not the end of the world because you still be on that pitch again in maybe five six months time and then you can show everything again and find your way back to that and this is just sometimes that you need someone from outside that sits you down and say look you just have to get everything together now overcome get your surgery done and then bring you back in that beast Mm. mode and find yourself back in yeah (laughs) get your motivation back and just bounce through it and then you you'll be good again and that helps sometimes as well not feeling too sorry for yourself it's hard you know the mental side of of any sport you know obviously that's my side you know the 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 mindset and the mental game is is super super important to to us all to achieve anything in life uh, especially in sport because if your head isn't in the game you just as well not physically be fit um, because your head can just ruin everything that you set out to achieve on the pitch or the field or the track or whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm really interested because throughout your career, obviously in Germany, then England and then Italy, what, what resources were available to you and your other teammates around mindset, about mental conditioning? Was, it, was there any of that support for, for you guys? I would say not a lot. Mm. As I said earlier, like there would sometimes not even be a physio there. So how could we have access to a psychologist or yeah. a mental coach? And if you can't even get a tape for your ankle, right? Wow, so wow. just having that focus on on this area, I think that let's go really back to the early beginnings of my mm. career. And that's already like 16, 15 years ago now. Mm. That I think there wasn't a lot of focus on the on the mental side in the game. It's still mm. hard sometimes 
now that you find people that are really knowing the importance about this, right? Yeah. Football is always like get your get your physical shape and go out and play. And yeah. now people realize, okay, the head is important as well. It's not only your your body. Yeah. And I think that just started basically while I was playing to, yeah, set in and people would be like, okay, that's actually important as well that the players are in a good mental shape and that their heads are working as well. So I would say the first time I was really working a little bit with a mental coach was maybe when I was 25, 26, but I would never needed to overcome certain things. I, 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 that's just me and my personality. I would not go somewhere and um, mourn about the situation. I would rather have like, how can I deal with certain situations in terms mm. of pressure? How do I find my way, way back into the game if I lose the ball three times in a row or mm. made a bad pass or things like this? Whereas oh, working with the team as well, I like that a lot in terms of getting the right team spirit and the right mindset to the yeah. team and not so much individually. But I know a lot of players work with an, like individually with a mental coach. Mm. And I think that's really each to their own. Like everyone has to find their own strategy, how to be best and to yeah. get the best performance out. And I would not like it so much to speak about everything with someone over and over again in also negative situations. I would just want to have my strategies how to deal with certain things on, on the pitch and then, yeah, f find my own way how to do it, yeah, to be honest. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've definitely got a strong character. I can, I can, <laughs> I can tell that, <laughs> which is great. Um. So I guess over all of those years in your playing career, which is like, must have like 16 years, I guess you were playing all together, maybe yeah. more, maybe more probably. Yeah. What would you what was the, what was your best moments really? What was your, your personal, personal best? Um, it's not, cause it's not always the things that we think it is. Cause you know, like I've spoken to Olympic athletes and you think, Oh, that time when you won those two gold medals, yeah. Or like if you speak to Andy Murray, who uh, won Wimbledon here in the UK, like first man to do it in 77 years, oh. he doesn't even really remember that moment. Um, yeah. So you think, well, that must have been the best moment of your career. But actually, you know, yeah. you can't even remember it. So No. Yeah, I would never mention as well a uh, title. Winning a title is great and having the party after is maybe even greater. <laughs> but I would, I would never, emotionally, I would always say it's the comeback after an injury. Like wow. that, that's, my like from an emotional standpoint the the deepest moments in terms of what you feel what, what we said earlier giving something back with to people they would work for you every mm. single day sometimes nights as well and mentioning my dad again who would come to the comeback game one comeback game I would score that was unreal because I, I could see him smiling from 300 meters away yeah. and obviously that that just makes everything puts everything in relation again you just feel like okay everything was worth it the last six months or eight months or two years or whatever just yeah. being able to play again and getting on the pitch after a long injury is always running around like a wild chicken like you always feel like <laughs> shit I could do this at one point why why does nothing work like, it's always the same at a combat game ask everyone I think it's horrible the first five or seven minutes you just sprinting around as if you like a chicken that just lost their head and they would just run everywhere and I always felt like okay at one point slow down breathe and if you get the ball pass it back and find your space again and yeah. just find your way in the game so but just yeah when you come in and people would 
clap your hands and everyone would hug you and yeah. the coach would say something to you and everyone knows about the importance. I think these are, yeah, were always my most emotional and best moments, yeah. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And that's really, really interesting. <laughs> Sorry? Even when the, ba the game afterwards was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but the moment was nice. It's very com it's very common, like I say, that you you know, you raise something like that that's that's your best moments or, or personal best. Um, like when I was talking about the guy, Glenn, his name, who did the swimming thing, his best moment wasn't winning the Olympics. It was winning the national title for his brother. Or in his mind, he was doing it for his brother and his brother was there to see it. Uh, that was his personal best. Uh, and I just find that really fascinating. So it's very, it's very interesting. Um, I want to talk to you about, obviously, a little bit. I know we're conscious of time and you've been really generous with your time. So thank you um, about retiring, because obviously you have retired um two is it about two weeks ago now i think two or three yeah three, three weeks ago yeah, yeah. <laughs> how how was that because that's something i deal with in my field of work supporting athletes who are thinking about retiring and transitioning out because when you know sports professionals and elite athletes or or any high achievers you know your identity really is wrapped up in what you do a big big part of your identity so it can be a really big challenge and obstacle to you know get your head around the fact that you're gonna you know retire and step away from the thing that you're super passionate about how has that been for you when did you first start thinking about retiring yeah basically a year ago already so mm. let's say last year in march we would send home from west Ham as well from the government as well the the lockdown started mm. to yeah really and then i was at home and i felt like okay um basically the league was cancelled we couldn't play any more games and i thought okay my knee was already so bad i was out for a year almost at west ham not mm. playing and i thought that for the first time okay this might be it and i don't want to end or stop playing like this basically through lockdown and through the virus finishing or ending my career mm. and then i was really lucky it was the first time i really faced that moment of retiring so that was at least something where i could prepare myself for how it really feels because it was basically so close to being retired i didn't announce anything officially mm. but in my head i retired already but then having the opportunity to play another year at milan i knew this is going to be my last year mm. and that made it a lot easier for me to feel like okay this is maybe my last pre-season this is my last winter break these are my last six games and three games and last training sessions and knowing this I think helps because you can prepare yourself a lot better and mm. what you say you identify your your identity is being an athlete and a footballer and not just as soon as you're a professional athlete already when you're a lot younger because all you do is since don't know 20 years I just live to play football and to perform in terms mm. of nutrition and your sleep and not partying too much and all these things you sacrifice but also you're away you're going abroad you do everything for football and then all of a sudden you feel like okay this is it it just started it just felt like my dad would bring me to the training and back home and i was again full of mud because i couldn't take a shower <laughs> with the boys but then it's yeah this sometimes gets to you these moments i would say in the last four or five weeks when i was playing uh, in milan I, I sometimes had moments in training where i felt like that's really sad actually now that mm. i think okay this is the last stage of my career but knowing, I think, and that's the most important thing for athletes, and maybe you agree with this, is knowing what, what your next step is. The transition yeah. out of the game 
and getting your new identity that it's worth to live for and you yeah. find your motivation again and also the motivation through the day to get up out of bed because you have a, a goal to work for and mm. that's I felt sometimes as well okay do I really find again anything in life that motivates me and fills me with joy and passion like football did and that's I think the the most difficult part of it to find something again that really that you like as much as you like your sport yeah that's I think difficult to find but I think also it's a chance like people obviously we work like this at one point you get used to it you get used to your new life and you get used to maybe your new environment but just yeah being privileged for so many years to do your sport is something you should be grateful for and this is when I think don't put too much pressure on you rather enjoy it a little bit more yeah. while you're doing it wow yeah no I love I love that I love honestly love your attitude your attitude is amazing it really is it's fantastic but it is is something that's you know and obviously sometimes people end up retiring you know through injury and that that's obviously you can't foresee that and you know I, I've done t talks to young footballers um, and young athletes um, around almost preparing themselves for that should it happen because and this is where the whole of life bit comes in it's like yes you're a footballer or a track and field runner or you know athlete or cricketer or whatever but you have to kind of know who you are as a person because yeah. you just never know you know it's a bit like this is i'm a footballer you get injured yeah. that gets taken away what are you left with you're you're left with mm -hmm. nothing your world crumbles you know you know statistically the um you know the statistics show for you know athletes and professional for, sports people who come away from their sport through injury or retirement you know there's alcoholism there's drug addiction there's gambling there, there's there's depression the divorce rate is quite high i mean a lot of this is taken from men you know just because that's where most of the research is done but it still applies because it's all about identity and how our identity is wrapped up in one certain thing um but you know i know you're a strong character I, I i can tell i can tell that do you have you thought about you know what going forward i know you've got your academy right which is something mm. i'm guessing you're super uh, passionate about yeah definitely i think this is why it's sometimes easier maybe for us women to make that step out of the game because we're already preparing our life after mm. because we have to we know we can't live from that forever financially mm. as well mm. and i think that's a good part of it as well that because the game doesn't prepare you for anything they're not your agents they are gone as soon as you leave the yep. football stage no one prepares you for that life after right mm. the, the the club doesn't the agents normally don't and i think us women who are already working maybe next to football or studying at least mm. i think that helps a lot to feel like okay i'm not just lost now i, I still mm. have an identity because i had one already before and I felt like at one point, for me, it was so healthy. During my last year, for example, I came home from training at 2 p.m. And I would just sit down on my laptop, having calls with people, pushing my academy, um, finding a new network outside of the sport, which helped me a lot going through the stage of retiring soon. Mm. Because I felt, feel like I have another purpose in life a bit, right? And being busy already before you make that step out I think it's really helpful so yeah what I said like I would love to stay in the game being a coach I, I keep doing my academy also not just in Germany or in the UK I did a couple of camps as well mm. I really want to
bring or use football to create opportunities for girls who might not have access to sport naturally. For example, when you yeah. go in the Middle East or North Africa or all these cultures, they are we are co complaining or demanding on a high level, right? We want to have better facilities, equal game, like facilities in terms of the medical areas, for example, where they don't even have access to sport. A lot yeah. of girls out there due to their culture mm. or traditional background. And I think football, and that's also a saying, it's more than sometimes football, it can deliver so much more. And this is where I'm really passionate about. I still want to be in the elite football and work as a coach with really ambitious girls and young players who need maybe guidance and support, but also with girls who you can just deliver opportunities, maybe in smiles and bring them something positive in, in their lives and see what football or team sport can do to you more than just getting new skills or mm. having a healthy life. What mm. we said earlier, all these, like being in a team and having all these other attributes football can deliver. I think this is something where I'm really passionate about. I could just fly out now and do camps everywhere and just, yeah, encourage young girls to have a great life and maybe even if it's only sport but it, i think it can yeah do so much more than just learning new skills probably yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah and no, the academy sounds amazing so i hope that uh, it, it really Thank takes you. off for you i'm sure it will yeah. and I, you know i totally agree you know like we do bang like i say we bang the drum here and we uh, you know we do have to stop and think yes we are really privileged but equally it's not a level playing field here in this country and and in germany as well so that needs to be rectified yeah. But, you know, it does then need to pass down through, you know, what we say to the grassroots and also yeah. out to, you know, wider afield to other other countries as well. So that, yeah. you know, for me, sport, you know, really has been my one passion my whole life. You know, as a kid, I wasn't academic. I was just good at sport, any sport I'd play. I'd loved it. And it probably saved my life in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And it, it helped my my self-esteem massively. Um, it was the one and, and you know anyone listen to this you know please just bear this in mind that sport is so can be so good for your mental health so mm -hmm. good um, it, you know as a kid you know I grew up uh, in, a, in a white town so we were the only black kids in town really mm -hmm. um, so that was a challenge but sport really you know was my outlet you know it gave me confidence it made me feel worth you know worthwhile mm -hmm. uh, my self-esteem and confidence were massively boosted so I know the benefits of sport um and i'm like you I, I, I want i want other women and girls to have access to that and understand that it's not about getting sweaty and dirty and yeah. you know getting all rough and tumble yeah we can do all of that but but that's really cool when you do that because that helps you mentally it helps your yeah. self-esteem and it helps your confidence and confidence in young girls especially in this country is probably at an all-time low um and getting part and getting involved in team stuff can massively um improve that so what you're doing sounds freaking wonderful um thank you so i'm going to keep an eye on that i'm already following it all <laughs> on instagram so um yeah <laughs> let me know if i can help you guys as well i'd love to come yeah. and help you. you need to yeah, definitely roll that out so before we go just a couple of last really quick questions yeah um i guess what is julia like outside of sport i guess what is it you <laughs> like to do and what do you how do you spend your your free time yeah, I was really caught into this lockdown as well because I love to go out for food and just meet people for, for example, dinner or lunches or yeah, just we all hanging. We all love that. I know everyone loves that, right? That was <laughs> such a hard time. The good thing in Italy was they would open um, the restaurants, at least for the outside areas, really cool. early. 
let's say in March and mm. it was warm enough to actually do this yeah. so we could do this since really early already again but no these are things just meeting friends and going out and also obviously sometimes shopping a bit but yeah <laughs> I do still a lot of sports like I, as you said I love every single sport like I could do everything yeah. I'm just trying to find kind of my new sport because I don't just want to go for a jog or in the gym yeah. I want to do something else whether that's playing football or beach volleyball or yeah. whatever this could be but yeah I, I love sport I, also, I can see you playing another sport I get definitely yeah. see something that's not so yeah. hard on the body though yeah exactly knee a little bit good for my knees as well have maybe something good is something in in the sand would mm. be nice yeah. yeah volleyball then volleyball but yeah I've tried volleyball it's bloody hard I found it really it's hard, hard right yeah 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 maybe t- table tennis something like that <laughs> Cool. So what? So I guess next for you then is it is your focus really with the academy? What what else do you see to try and accomplish going forward? Yeah. So yeah, it's the academy on the one side, and I'm also starting to work with the German Federation and oh, cool. take yeah, working with the under 17s as an assistant coach. So this is when I say like I want to yeah. keep my yeah elite side of football still like working with ambitious players that are driving to go professional at one yeah. point and being on a really high level already. So that's something I want to keep myself being in as well. Whereas mm. I'm as passionate about this with like the academy and with grassroots football and what I said earlier with the opportunities just and giving smiles to girls through sport as something as important for me as bringing someone up to being a professional football player, I would say. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, that's that's really good. Well, we have to watch out then because if you're going to be part of the watch coaching out. team, uh, <laughs> of course, um, you know, I don't, this podcast will go out after actually, so everyone will know the result. But obviously, England are playing Germany again in the men's yes. game uh, yes. next Tuesday. Uh, give me your score prediction. Let's see what happens. To be honest, I have no idea because Germany is a roller coaster in the whole <laughs> tournament. Uh, same as England is a bit oh. right. You don't you don't know where, where these two teams will end up. But I obviously I have to say I think we win two one. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I you know. I, yeah, I think I think Germany will win. We've got a terrible yeah. record against Germany. It's, it's our arch rival <laughs> exactly. in football. It, yeah. You know, when it when it, when they were talking about it in the game, I was literally like, no, please. <laughs> Everyone in but the I country. I think we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> what you don't want to if play us? <laughs> no, I, well, I think we don't want to play anyone because it's horrible what we do. But at least maybe we can win penalties against England. So. I've got to cut you off there. That's that's. Ciao. that's <laughs> That's below the belt, that is. That's below the belt. Uh, Julia, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, you know, talking to you and finding out a little bit more about your life as a professional footballer and look forward to see what you do going forward. Thanks so much for having me. It was a yeah. pleasure for me too. Welcome. You've been listening to The Real Life Sports Show. I hope you found some value in this free podcast. If you have, then tell someone else about it. And while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review? Also, you can share it on your socials. You'll mostly find me on Instagram at Sam Adams Coach. Use the hashtag real life. You can also check me out at my website, sam-adams.com. If you're interested in my coaching or have any comments at all, then just drop me a DM via Instagram and I will get back to you. I look at all my messages and I reply to every single one of them.